My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the post-credit pod. We were off last week. I'm running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Last week, it's been three weeks. This is our first show. Three, since, this is our first show since September 9th. That goes to show you how much time is meaningless and how utterly disconnected I am from the real world that I didn't even realize had been through three weeks. Well, A, I'll say this. September is a traditionally fast month. I feel like that month, like it always flies by no matter well what, said. no matter what's going on. I think it's a combo of it feeling half like summer and half like fall. B, we took ourselves a little bit of a September sabbatical. Luckily, there was a break in content. I mean, there's been what if going on. There's been a few little tiny films here and there, but there was largely a little break uh, because the fall is going to be insane. Now, I've been saying this on the show a bunch of times before, but now I finally have a schedule in front of me. And B, you you know this about me. This is a big deal for me. I mean, I planned out the rest of our year. I, I cannot <laughs> picture that far in the future. But for the sake of work, I did. So this week, we got many- frozen by inability to, to, to know what's coming. Yeah, because there's just too much. I'm just I don't have the like long term planning skills. But for this podcast, I do. This week, we have many saints of Newark and Venom 2. Next week, no time to die. Week after that, The Last Duel, Dune, French Dispatch, Last Night in Soho, The Harder They Fall, Army of Thieves, Eternals, Red Notice, King Richard, Ghostbusters, Afterlife, Hawkeye, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story, Spider-Man No Way Home, The Matrix, Don't Look Up, The King's Man, and The Book of Boba Fett. (laughs) Holy shit. It feels like summer and fall, given how log-jammed the schedule is of big titles not just like oh yeah that's that seems like it could be a good movie big titles yeah i was actually talking to somebody and this is a little bit inside baseball but i I was having a chat with a guy at one of the pr firms today and this one pr firm alone is handling the junkets for two different movies this weekend and i'm like and i'm like yo dude like just so you know like i've been i've been working with your colleague on this other junket for months so if these wind up at the same time i'm going to have to bail on this one he's like dude we know it the, the entire schedule is just a <laughs> is just a shit show so there's a lot of plates in the air right now but for us i mean like a lot of plates in the air for the industry in general i think as you just said finally the 2020 backlog like the, the dam has finally broken you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And now we're just getting flooded from here on out. So it's going to be an absolutely awesome fall here on the Postcard Podcast. I am particularly excited because a lot of those things are right up our alley, that nerdy blockbuster mainstream alley. And we're going to hit a lot of that today. We obviously got our news and our quick hitters. We got a little what if conversation after the penultimate episode. We're going to hit a little bit on the many saints of Newark and legacy sequels in general. Then our main topic is going to be Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which is now out in theaters. Eric has seen it. I haven't. I always like those types of conversations where one person has, one person hasn't. Because I feel like it reflects the audience a little bit too. You know, half of you guys listening have usually seen it. Half of you are on the fence or thinking about seeing it. So hopefully we can help you. First, Eric, let us start off with a little bit of news. This isn't so much news as it is just a wild new stat. Squid Game, the South Korean Netflix original, is now been out. Uh, but at the time when Ted Sarandos made this announcement, it had only been out about 10 days. It is on pace to become Netflix's most watched original ever. Let me ask you this. Did it premiere on Netflix the same time it premiered in South Korea? Or has this been around for like a year or so? And no, now it's, no, just it, made it's a-, a Netflix original. It is not on South Korean TV. It is on Netflix original uh, because Netflix this year and for a long time, but this year has invested $500 million in South Korean programming alone. And it's already starting to pay off. I mean, oh, so wait. bigger than Bridgerton, bigger than Witcher. But it's airing Games. on Netflix there. It's not, it's just not a regular TV series. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. I I, I just thought that this was one of their classic sort of imported hits, but no, this is, this is all homegrown, baby. So, and I am imagining just to the point that you said where it's half of us have not seen it. Half of us had, I'm sure that's the case with a lot of people tuning into this podcast, regardless of if you've seen it or not, you've sure heard of it. Here's the vibe that I get from not engaging in anything but the quick screenshots and tweets that I've seen online. It strikes me as a combination of that Ewan McGregor film, The Island, and Saw. Is that correct? 
You know what? It's more correct than it's not correct, for sure. It is definitely closer than I than I would have expected someone who really doesn't know anything about it to get. So I give you credit. The jumpsuit connection, I love. Uh, long story short, for anyone who hasn't seen it, a bunch of broke poor people oh. are essentially invited. Yeah, it's a it's a big it's a big economic type of thing. Urgh, capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> they're invited to play kids games. You know, like little like marbles and and like for and like red light, green light, but with life or death stakes. You know, if you lose, you lose, man. And the the goal is to win this cash prize, which is you know hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And it is this scathing indictment of you know capitalism, socioeconomic divide, consumerism, and a little bit of like Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Running Man sprinkled on top with this fascination of of grotesque entertainment. And dude, each episode is subsequently wilder than the last. It is shockingly emotional. It, you, you are like, I cannot believe how much I care about these characters. It does a great job developing certain people, like the lead who starts off as this frumpy loser and reveals himself to be this kind of capable, you know, mostly sympathetic, caring guy. And this production design is just gorgeous to look at. I highly recommend okay. everyone go check it out. I was shocked how good the show is. I was shocked that a South Korean original is going to be Netflix's most watched show ever. If well, it that's goes what well, I so. was going to ask you about. Netflix is very much in the data game. It is their business to quantify things and then capitalize in the market on that quantification, right? Yeah. Is there an element of art, and I'm violating this under art, that is unquantifiable? Like, do you think that they had any fucking clue <laughs> that this was going to blow up the way it did? Because even if they said they did, I'm not sure I believe them. And I guess what I'm asking you is, can you or do you think they can even remotely put their finger on what's going on here. I have learned very, very clearly and without any sort of confusion that you cannot reverse engineer a phenomenon. You just can't. Doesn't matter what Apple says. Doesn't matter what. So Netflix it's a blind says. shot in the dark. It yeah. Now they are strategically investing in South Korean programming because it does travel well. Because they are amazing storytellers. They're really booming film and TV industry mm -hmm. over there. Now that makes sense, and that basically says we are betting on some of this content blowing up, but they fell ass backwards into Squid Game in the sense that no one thought it was going to be the biggest one ever. The same thing happened with Lupin. The same thing, by the way, happened with Stranger Things, which they buried in late summer with very little marketing in 2016. Well, and Stranger Things, Stranger Things was a was a homage of 1980s Americana. There is a built-in audience for that. Uh, South they didn't Korean... know what they had in Stranger Things. Trust huh? me. They, listen, I, I understand what you're saying, and, and that is more mainstream and commercial than than you know Squid Game. But they did not but understand what they had on their hands. But I also remember when the trailer for Stranger Things dropped, sending it to my friends and being like, "This looks dope." That had a bit. I mean, obviously, uh, and again, I doubt Netflix knew what it would become. Also, we got to recall this is five years ago. That's half a decade at this point. A lot has changed. That definitely had more legs going into its premiere. Squid Game is an entirely word of mouth oh, yeah. success. But and, and so I, I just I'm wondering if Netflix is is finding elements that create virality and are going to capitalize on that. Like, do they they're think they're investing in the right places? That's but, where it is. But then within that, it's like, you know, OK, I'm going to buy this book. I don't know which chapter is going to be the best. But do you think that this tells them well, we got to start to make more gory shit? Or do you think that this tells them we got to start to make more socioeconomic thesis statement <laughs> pieces? Like, is there anything for them to learn from this other than? Yeah, definitely. Other, other than confirming the randomness of it all? Absolutely high production values on high concept uh, dramas. You know, there's not, there's no sci-fi element. There's no superhero. But the very idea of, like you said, a, a saw meets the island meets a little bit of the running man. Uh, or, or Stephen King's The Long Walk. That is a unique, hooky type of concept, you know? That's going to grab people. So they're learning. Make your, make your shows look like a million bucks, which they do, mm. multi-million bucks, and uh, have something that separates it because there's nothing like Squid Game on TV right now or in recent memory. Yeah, I've got to check that out as soon check as I it can, out. for sure. All right, everyone else, check it out. Let us know what you think. You can hit us up at Eric Italiano, at great underscore Catsby. Follow us at PostgradPod. Please leave a five-star review. All right, quick hitters. Book of Boba Fett will hit Disney Plus on December 29th. 
before season two of Mando, I was not, I would have not been Great. excited for this. Oh, oh, oh no, no, sorry, I'm saying sorry, before sorry. now, now that we kind of brought Boba back, I'm like, oh yeah, man. Yeah. Shang-Chi became the first pandemic era film to make $200 million domestic, really important for the, just the entire film industry. So Marvel going to Marvel, but everyone's eaten right now because yeah. of it. Mm. Apple has landed the Brad Pitt, George Clooney thriller directed by Spider-Man homecoming director, John Watts. They are spending money, man. They are aggressively building out that film slate. You love to see it. That's a home run project right there. It doesn't get better oh, yeah. than that. Pitt and Clooney, forget about it. I like how Pitt, a few years ago, he was saying, like, I don't know if I'm going to act that much anymore. Now he's just fucking in the dopest projects imaginable. I mean, he got divorced. He's like, well, fuck. Now I just got all this time on my hands. <laughs> and <laughs> I got to get out there. And bills to pay. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, a lot of bills to pay. Uh, Ridley Scott will big, begin production on the Gladiator sequel after he finishes his next project, the Joaquin Phoenix starring Kitbag. Little disappointed to hear that originally, you know, way back in the early 2000s after Gladiator, he wanted to make a sequel where the gods grant a Maximus immortality and he ends up fighting in every single war in history before becoming like a five-star general at the Pentagon in modern day. That that's no like because that sounds crazy, stupid, ridiculous, bonkers in the best way. Yes. That apparently is no longer the script. Apparently they moved away from that. Bummer. I want to see that crazy fucking version. The script details that I had seen was that it was gonna focus on um uh, I mean for the new version. Well, just like the the forms that the script has taken over the years. There's no telling if this will be in the final draft, which Scott said is he's currently writing. Right. That it was gonna focus on the little kid, the the Commodus's nephew like the daughter of i mean sorry the son of yeah. um uh is that renee russo who plays no the, it wasn't uh, renee russo i can't remember but he's also the uh the son in unbreakable too the little blonde kid yeah yeah so yeah. him so it was gonna fo- he was gonna be inspired by like the trials of maximus and go on his own journey yeah. and I it mean, was let's gonna see. place uh 20 years later i also want to just warn everybody ridley scott's been trying to make this movie for 20 years and it still hasn't happened so don't take this as confirmation he also no. always says I'm about to like he was gonna do um the oh god the Don the Don Winslow books that I absolutely love that I can't remember off the top of my head mm. uh, with Leo and he's like yeah we're starting production on that uh, in a couple months and then that never happened so right. he is infamous for saying X Y Z is about to happen and it never happened so gotcha. if you okay. really want a Gladiator sequel just just you know rein them in your expectations a little bit fair enough all right first trailer for Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza dropped it hits theaters November 26th. Eric, you put in a question here that I love. Do you, quote, get PTA? Uh, answer, no. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I feel like that's almost like uh, like we've got to give in our film critic cards. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like that's a big sin of being a uh, film snob. But, and I say this because a couple months ago, I watched Punch Drunk Love, which always just gets such big acclaim. And I just, I thoroughly did not understand the themes that he was trying to get across. Now, that said, do I... Am I aware that There Will Be Blood is like an American masterpiece? Absolutely. Like there's, it's sort of this weird towing the line of, I understand what he means for film. I don't understand his films, if that makes <laughs> sense. You know? Yeah, I mean, he's a master filmmaker. He is an unbelievable storyteller. He rings out truly iconic performances left and right from his stars. I love Boogie Nights. But I, I find myself lost and confused 90% of the time in 90% of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. If that means I'm not smart enough to get his movies, so be it. I'm willing to concede that. I just don't love him like other uh, film fans love him. That said, this did look like his most accessible, consumable film perhaps ever. I mean, Maybe. given that I mean, it's just a classic, quote unquote, given that it's a PTA film, it probably won't be. But like a coming of age story at its bones is one of the more classic film genres. So maybe this will help us get them a bit more. Streisand. Streisand. I just thought that was so funny with Bradley Cooper in the trailer. Uh, Netflix has discussed making a Millie Bobby Brown led Stranger Things spinoff. And then someone on Twitter astutely said, so dot, 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 Stranger Things. Yeah. (laughs) I don't really understand how you make a spinoff for the lead character. Well, I mean, I think Netflix knows two things. Stranger Things is probably the biggest IP they have to this day. And Millie Bobby Brown is still a growing star. So once you've got those two things in hand, it makes sense to want to keep it going. It does. I just don't know what a a spinoff starring the main character even is. 
maybe it's like a sequel spinoff. Like I, that would be better. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Of right, her so just I'm, like I'm turning into more. fucking Goku, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Studios president Victoria Alonso, who was also recently promoted, she's kicking ass over there, yeah. says that they currently have 31 projects in production. I mean, we're Marvel fans on this podcast, in case you couldn't tell over the last year. Just hearing that, I'm like, wow, that sounds awesome. It, it, it also sounds mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I can't I mean, even wrap, I can't even wrap my head up. I mean, that takes them at least on the border of phase six. Yeah, at least. Assuming it's, I mean, I, I got to assume it's across Disney plus in and- development is a very loose term for like, we're like either we're just putting pen to paper on deals or it's going to come out in the next few months. You know what I mean? I think that's a very yeah. broad term, but I'm excited and just yeah. give us blade. Also, I saw on Twitter, I don't know if it was fake or not. And I didn't, I didn't spend much time, but I saw somebody posted a, a potential cast list for season two of what if yes, yeah, and it had did. Mahershala Ali. As Blade, someone did tag us in that, but I didn't see it posted on any official Marvel yeah, accounts because okay. I did. I did go and look. I was like, "Oh, what's this?" But that would make sense, would, right? No, but it would be interesting if he made his MCU debut in animation before his movie came out. That would be surprising. Well, you made you've made the good point on this pod that they've got to get the wheels turning on this one. Yeah, I don't know. You know what's what's taking so long with yeah. Blade? Well, I'm I'm excited for it. Either way. The process of casting the next James Bond will begin next year, according to producer Barbara Broccoli. A big shoes to fill, man. I mean, Daniel Craig era is my favorite era of Bond films. I think it's yours, too. I think oh, it's yeah. a lot of people's our age favorite era. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of great talent out there that can fill the shoes, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough coming off such a successful run. Yeah. You and I have both seen No Time to Die. We will be covering that in depth next week. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's going to be tough after seeing No Time to Die. I'm like, yeah, you know, that was pretty damn good. Yeah. Good luck to the next guy. Uh, Roger John Page, I apologize if I'm butchering that. Sounds is good going to, me. to Yeah, I think so. Is going to star in a new Netflix heist thriller based on an original idea from Noah Hawley and produced by the Russo brothers. And I tweeted this today. I was like, well played, algorithm. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of things that I like. I'll yeah, that's really... <laughs> dead ass that's exactly what it sounds like but hey i'm into it yeah sticking with netflix dave chappelle's next stand-up special drops october 5th super excited for that i also oh. just saw neil brennan the co-creator of chappelle show in doing stand-up last night in the city how was, was that it was fucking good. hilarious and depressing and amazing oh man awesome uh and then a bit of intel has resurfaced from the sony hack this was out there it's just been making the rounds on twitter again and i thought it was interesting Marvel Studios back, this is like, you know, before The Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out, Marvel Studios reportedly offered $1.5 billion. They tried to lowball on those scumbags. That's a scumbag move, dude. $1.5 billion? Dude, step up to the plate, Disney. But then Sony apparently countered with $5 billion, which I still think is a huge lowball. Well, did it? What, you think that's too low? Yeah, I think it's too low. They paid $4 billion for Marvel as a whole? Yeah, but that was, you know, that... You're talking about 2009. Then this is 2014-ish, 2015 years later. I, I think I think I'm surprised that they didn't buy it at, at or, or try to get them down at three and a half or something because I feel like Marvel, considering where they were at the time, you think that they would have known how successful Spider-Man would be for them. I mean, each I'm one is made a billion dollars. Sidebar: Does the Shang-Chi box office return? get you closer to hoping that no way home is going to cross a billion or do you still need to see more data more question more data i i think venom is doing very well too sorry brenna go ahead uh venom is doing very well too and no time to die is tracking to do very well as well so i think october and i said this in a tweet today has the chance to supercharge the box office and i think it's it's possible if any film's going to hit a billion in 2021, it's No Way Home, guaranteed. Yeah. So the the more I see and the more I see success happening in October, the more I'm, I'm becoming convinced. Like they say in The Matrix, he's beginning to believe. Mm. <laughs> and then I just thought it was interesting too, even back then during the Sony hack, so you're talking about 2014-ish, Sony was planning to unite Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man at a certain point. So I thought that was cool that some sort of multiverse shenanigans were in the works. Yeah, Sony's showing a bit of foresight there. 
There you go. And we're going to come back to Sony in a little bit uh, when we talk about Venom later. Yes, sir. So let's move into uh, what if. This is uh, your time to shine, but I actually have a couple points today. Well, we haven't touched on I mean, well, we've been off there for a few weeks. As we've discussed when discussing what if, we're really not talking about the week-to-week happenings, but more so whenever something relevant to the MCU as a whole goes down. Um, I would say this week is the definition of that, except for the Doctor Strange one. I would argue that this is the most consequential what if yet. The long and short of it, in case you have not seen it, is that in an alternate universe, Ultron wins, becomes so powerful that he ices Thanos, gets his hands on the Infinity Stone and becomes like an all-universe conquering being to the extent that once he's the last man standing in his universe he's now reached a level of power where he's able to hear the watcher and then so he tracks the watcher down and they and they shoot the ones the cosmic ones and um and and then that in turn the watcher i guess kind of loses that fight like because he's got to cut bait and fucking retreat uh to go ask dr strange for its help and that is the first other than what they've been doing with captain carter who i think popped up again or or not yet. I can't remember off the top of my head. But this is sort of the first sign that they are working towards something bigger. Obviously, that's a point that Brandon and I have. And again, this isn't mind-blowing thoughts here, but it is something that you and I have been saying the whole time that this is going to integrate itself into the greater narrative of the MCU. I think it did it in th- three ways. Watcher became an active character. He was no longer just a narrator. And as I've said, it makes no sense to bring in fucking Jeffrey Wright just to have him open and close each show. So that always told me that they were going to involve him in the show's narrative overall. Uh, Two, Doctor Strange Supreme is brought back. So that is a serialization within the confines of the show itself. You know what I mean? And not just the MCU at large. And three is someone tagged us in this on Twitter. So shout out to them. I'm sorry I didn't write down your at. But this is what made me think to myself, like, oh, fuck, I got to catch up on what if. They showed a side-by-side of the giant, all-powerful Ultron fighting the Watcher. And at one point, he grows to a, a fucking cosmic size to the point where he's bigger than a galaxy and takes a bite out of said galaxy. And the image is identical to a Marvel Comics image of Galactus. So there is, I'd say, at least a 50% chance that What If is showing us the dawn of perhaps the MCU's big phase five villain. I mean, as you and I have talked about between Secret Invasion and Kang and the multiversal no way home of it all, Marvel's got a lot of shit going on. And yet even still- 31 projects a, in development. Right. And even still, they may have just introduced their own version of Galactus on What If, which is, I mean, that's a heavy fucking swing. I would be surprised if they went this sort of altered route with Galactus because he's still Ultron. He's Let me show just you this photo, amalgamating though. it. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember it from before. It looks exactly the same. I mean, come it was on. Very cool. Yeah. I'd still be surprised if Ultron is like a sub of Galactus. You know. Oh, can you even call him Ultron at this point? Like, can't this just be his like origin story? Like, this is how he became Galactus. Like, you know, you could, I mean, you could, I, I, just, I just don't I know surprised I, if they went this route, Marvel. And I, I wrote this um, in my review of Venom. Everything for them happens for a reason. And I have a hard time that they would do such a specific visual cue, maybe to only to tease fans, but that's not really in their nature. I, I, I just, don't know. I, I disagree. I think it's so in their nature to do little fun Easter eggs and references like that, particularly for the deep cut diehard fans like us, an everyday casual watcher has no idea because there was no mention or, or reference to Galactus uh, overtly. It was just a, a quick one second shot. Now, I, I, I don't think I don't I don't want to read too much into this. Well, but isn't Galactus's thing conquer galaxies? Yeah, he devours worlds. So isn't that what Ultron is doing in this what if? Yeah, but can a single one of your non, you know, entertainment related friends be like, oh, that's a Galactus reference? No, not no. a single casual viewer is getting that. Okay, you're not buying it. I'm, I'm not buying it. No, but I do think Galactus will be introduced at some point in the next, you know, couple of years. But I, I don't think I think this is a nice little visual treat for nerds like you and I, and be like, oh, that was really cool. I do not think 
faux Ultron is, you know, new Galactus. I don't think that they're going to go that route. Now, do you think the following two, so this was episode eight. I think this is the penultimate oh, no. episode. Oh, there's only one left. Oh, that's yeah, right. Because it was supposed to be 10, but the pandemic cut it short. So we're assuming that this storyline is going to pick up next week. Oh, the director has said that this is the first time all season that eight and nine, you know, they stand alone, but they're supposed to be together. He has said that. So this will be the most serialized element of what. Do you think this storyline carries on beyond next week's? So I've actually been thinking about this and I've been going back and forth. To me, I I just don't, I never have since like Terminator 2, which I love, but since then I don't really find robots to be great villains these days. So like the Ultron multiverse world eater threat, it was cool in parts, but it felt a little flat to me just because I've never really liked the idea and the character. I would have preferred a different unifying force, but I do understand why from like a functional standpoint, what if is opting for Ultron as the big bad. Having said that, which being to- you said from a functional standpoint, you could see why they're going ra- going down this route. What are those things that make you feel that way? Oh, I mean, I think the general uh, opinion among Marvel faithful is that Ultron was a little wasted in Age of Ultron. There was no age. It was just a couple couple days of Ultron, really. Right. I think they, and a lot of fans feel there was a little bit of potential left on the table. Wasted w- to- within the context of how big of a deal he is in the comics and how not big of a deal he wound up being in the per- films. Yeah, particularly okay. as a follow-up to the Avengers, which at the time, oh, biggest thing we've ever seen, you know? Right. So, uh, and it also makes sense to have somewhat of a, a familiar face rather than just dr- grab somebody new. I'm like, wow, this is really kind of folding into the, the, uh, the DNA of the existing MCU. People have a foothold, they get it. My thing to your question is, though, why wait until the second to last episode to introduce your grand unifying big bad? So methinks that the Watcher and his conflict will go forward. I think they'll probably wrap up a bunch of stuff next week, but I do think some element of uh, super-powered multiverse Ultron will be present in season two because it just doesn't make sense to me for them to really not thread any breadcrumbs in previous episodes for this introduction all of a sudden if it's not going to be slightly more important moving on you know an episode and a half if they just end it next week that seems a little you and i have been saying you've been you and i have been saying that we're convinced that they're going to drop a bomb that connects it to the mcu at large Do, do we think they've technically done that yet i mean i think making the watcher active counts i think the doctor strange supreme thing counts but are we correct yet? Has it tied itself to the MCU narrative? Not really, I'd say. And I'm still no, but it has tied to itself into like a, a, a tidier ball, I would say, by yeah. by unifying with Ultron. And I gotta say too, uh, one wasn't expecting the Watcher to be ripped under that cloak. Well played, <laughs> Watcher. I, I like how in his little mirror Netflix universe, where he's just watching everything, he's also doing his push-ups. I respect that. And number two, I thought their Dragon Ball Z fight was awesome. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. that sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I we like, need a little bit more of that in the in the live action MCU. It was definitely dope how like the universe changed with each punch. <laughs> oh yeah, and I, I think it goes to show you. Yeah, you're right that the Watcher definitely lost that round, but he was taking on Ultron with a with a complete Infinity Gauntlet, and he lost. But you know, he he wasn't like embarrassed. So yeah, it goes to show you the Watcher's powerful. Yeah, for sure. So I thought that was really cool. And I, I I do expect, listen, I don't necessarily think what if is going to be some massive ramification for live action MCU, because I don't think Feige is going to rely on a big enough portion of the Marvel fandom watching every single piece of what if, but I do think there's going to be more narrative threads that hint to like the multiverse and fit in with the overall corner of the universe that we're in. We always like to talk about how they're dividing it into multiverse mysticism, like, you know, grounded stuff. I do think this will have some kind of rules and regulations that fit into uh, uh, Spider-Man, that fit into Doctor Strange right. 2 and whatnot. Right. Pretty cool overall. I'm excited. I'm actually excited for the finale, and I haven't necessarily been like, wow, I can't wait for the next What If episode. Well, it's a no-brainer. Why? We've been saying it. Serialization. I mean, that, that that's all it takes. We've, we've been a, saying it since Mando season one. Connective narrative, right. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right, you want to move on to Many Saints Newark, my friend? Yeah, let's do it. All right, you have seen it. 
I have unfortunately not. I'm going to try to watch it tonight just quickly as both a huge fan of Sopranos and just a film critic who can take something in a vacuum. And somebody who grew up in North Jersey. (laughs) Yes, and is extremely Italian. Yes. I saw this a few weeks ago, so I would like to revisit. This is one of those movies whose appreciation I have for it grew on me. Uh, what, what I, and I think that is the case when you're dealing with the expectation of nostalgia, right? You have preconceived notions of who these characters are and what you want from them and what you want from their stories. So I think a lot of fans are going to hit that wall when they go into it expecting it to be like an origin story about young Tony. That's not what this is. So you've got to recalibrate on the fly, right? Only after I saw it and I had time to think about it, was I able to adjust my expectations of what I wanted and then therefore properly analyze um, how I feel about it. Makes sense. And it's interesting because while it's a solid movie in and of itself, you necessarily can't imagine a world where it would have been greenlit if it wasn't Sopranos characters. Like if this was just another mob film, it would be a B or C film. But that said, this isn't just any old cash grab, right? This is the Sopranos <laughs> we're talking about here. So you go Stop into it. Cool. So you, you got to, I think the key is go into it, understanding that it's not a Sopranos episode, nor is it a Tony Soprano origin story. It is a look into the memory of the Sopranos as a whole. Like if the Sopranos was a conscious mind, this is a look into memories. And I think when you look at it like that and you understand like the more important than the actual plot of it is sort of the reverberations of the characters that you see, like the way that they, the way that they sort of scale down Junior and Paulie to be younger, more vibrant versions of themselves, but still (laughs) imbue them with those quirks and ticks. And then you're able to bridge the two of who they are in this film and who they would come to be in the show. That is where I think fans are going to get the most joy. I I don't think that they're going to get joy or thrills from a mind-blowing reveal in the plot about Tony's past or something like that or a shocking character death or something like that. I think the enjoyment, much like the show, is the hangout of it all. It's a very atmospheric. uh, The sets and the costumes are all well done. So the feelings of being in... 1960s Newark works. You do feel like you are transported to that time living a life with these characters, which is what the Sopranos was so great about. For a mob show and for as heavy and as visceral as it could be, it wasn't always propulsive, you know? It was a very ruminative kind of hanging out in rooms, friends talking to friends, enemies talking to ducks and shit. Yeah, so... (laughs) That is very much what the prequel is. It's sort of a looking at the ghosts of Sopranos past and then being able to, you as the viewer, bridge the two. That is probably what I enjoyed most. That said, like as an overall experience, like did I leave the movie like, wow, great movie? Uh, No, not really, but I do want to watch it again. And I think that when I'm able to now watch the film without having the preconceived expectations and just take the plot for what it is. I think I'll enjoy it a lot more. I'm certainly fascinated to hear what the culture at large thinks. I think there's going to be two camps. There's going to be people who fucking hate it and people who (laughs) love it. I don't think that there's going to be a, yeah, I thought it was all right. I think that people are going to be like, that had nothing to do with the Sopranos at all. And then people who are going to be like, give me more, which this film does. which, Which this movie does set itself up for it. It's a prequel setting itself up for a sequel. And it's funny sort of to see the franchisization of Sopranos years later, you know, like now they're talking about a sequel to a prequel. And it's just, it's fascinating to see them toe the line of old school gangster flick Sopranos memory lane trip. And then also a franchise starter (laughs) potential. I, I was unfortunately on vacation when they held their screening, so I couldn't catch mine. All I know is that Billy Magnuson as young Polly Walnuts is inspired casting. I haven't yeah. even seen the movie yet, and I just know I love that already. He's good. All, all the bit part roles are good, and that is where I got the most enjoyment, seeing the young version of these characters. I mean, I, 
there's a scene I'm pretty sure where they bust Junior's balls because he likes to go to third base. Like they're still doing those jokes, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of that in there, and that is where the fans are going to get the the most fun. But there's a flip side of that coin where it's if it's just a nostalgia drip, does it even deserve to exist in the first place? Right. You know? I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that transitions into this little fun mini game we're gonna play. Uh, so yeah. Many Saints of Newark, a legacy prequel arriving 14 years after the Sopranos ended. Eric, I'm not sure if you realize this, but this year alone, we'll have seen Space Jam, A New Legacy, Spiral, Ghostbusters Afterlife, The Matrix Resurrections, and Top Gun Maverick being moved into 2022. So we are knee deep in legacy sequels. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, that's typically when a movie follows the continuity of an original work, but takes place further along the timeline and comes out, you know, 10 ish plus years after whatever original uh, started it all. And the thing about legacy sequels or prequels, they offer the upside of reuniting with beloved characters and beloved IP, but it also the downside of potentially spoiling what has come before. And when these types of movies are announced, they're often met with, you know, fans or, or online communities kind of bemoaning Hollywood's lack of originality or, you know, from like a selling standpoint, so much time has passed that it doesn't really to seem to make much sense from a kind of marketing standpoint. But now that we are living in the era of legacy sequels, Eric, what is one or two, you know, TV shows or films you'd love to see a legacy sequel, prequel, revival for? What is something that you think warrants returning to that world? Because as you just said, and as I think we've seen with a lot of them that have already come out this year, not everyone uh, justifies it. All right. Warrants in terms of the context of the story and warrants in terms of because I fucking want it to happen are two different things entirely. So I just fair. want to make that very clear. fair. Um, my first one is something that's been in the culture for some time. I'm not claiming this as an original idea of mine, but I think it's a fantastic one. Nonetheless, the social network, too. Uh, in yes. fact, the day we are recording this podcast is 11 years to the day since that film came out. Whoa. People have always said that the next decade of Facebook is far more darker and fascinating than the first 10 years of it was. So I think of yeah. tracking where that company and Zuckerberg have been since that last film would be fascinating. You uh, are the, getting a Cambridge Analytica movie, which will be interesting with uh, Paul Bettany. But obviously, I'd love to see, you know, Fincher and, and uh, Aaron Sorkin reteam for social network, too. Right, right. Oh, I, I didn't know that, though. Who's... uh directing do you know i can't remember off the top of my head okay. uh next are a couple of damon lindelof ideas again Ooh. this is one that's been out there in the world a second chapter of watchmen just because the first season was so good but that doesn't really qualify as legacy sequel because i know that the original season is but now that that's out this would be like oh it's a couple years later from the first season but I'll give it. I'll give it to you because I want a second season of Watchmen. Well, that's going to screw up my next one because the next one is in the Leftovers world, my favorite show of all time, top two, top three, uh, and a show about where the 2% went. That would be cool. I would uh -huh. definitely. I mean, I don't I don't need an answer and I don't want an answer, but if Damon Lindelof is like, this is what I'm going to do doing. It's an eight episode, one season thing. I'd be like, sign me the fuck up. Now, here's what I think is probably my best one. Spider-Man 4. Yes. Uh, now that Sam Raimi is in the MCU, uh, could he pull off an old man Logan type story with Toby Spider-Man and continue and then finish that narrative? I think the hype would alone would make it a guaranteed success. I mean, I mean, if No Way Home is a hit and people like it, I think the chances of Spider-Man 4 happening go up tenfold. That's fascinating. Could you imagine? <laughs> I, I can because that would be awesome and I want it. That would it. be fucking awesome. That, that'd be really gay. And then finally, we, we got to stay on brand because that's what we do best. Men of Steel 2. <laughs> of course. But that, again, that's not a legacy sequel yet. Give it a couple been, more years. Been, yeah. 2013? Yeah. yeah, it's been eight years. That's close to a decade. How, why, what do you think the barometer need, needs to be? I, I mean, listen, not all of mine are, uh, I got three and I think one of them doesn't really fall into the timeline category, okay. but I, I get it. All right. Uh, one, again, super obvious. It has been more than a decade since the original. We need a District 9 sequel. It's, in retrospect, you know, the height of Neil Blomkamp. 
Uh, he's never really matched that before, but if he would return to this world, particularly given how successful it was, best picture nomination, uh, you know, really solid box office performance. I don't know why it's taken so long. It's, it's, I think, I, it, I, and, and, and I think despite the fact that it did well at box office and got a best picture now, I still think it's become something of a cult hit. Like it's a cult classic these days. Like, yeah, I feel like, like young, like like younger the next people one? are just learning about it. They're like, oh, this is a fucking incredible movie. Yeah. But we need, so we need a follow up there. Um, I would not be opposed to Diego Luna starring mm-hmm. as Inigo Montoya in a Princess Bride prequel. But I also understand that we could let that perfect, wonderful piece of cinema rest untouched all for all of eternity. But again, Diego Luna's Inigo Montoya, his younger years, that sounds pretty cool. Him learning the ways of the sword. I, I could get behind that. That is a film that I've not seen. You've never seen The Princess Bride? No, it's just one of those. Okay, podcast over. Guys, I'm packing up. I'm retiring from Postgred Pod. I know. I've got these bad ones. I've got really bad ones. I did knock Top Gun off the list this summer, though. But Yeah, I think we talked about that, right? I've got some glaring, glaring blind (laughs) spots for sure. And then my last one, again, this probably is it's not uh, too long enough to qualify as a legacy sequel, but I would love like maybe like a four episode limited series or even like a TV movie on FX that picks back up after the looming end of the Cold War in the Americans, because that Mm. finale, I mean, listen, you don't need to revisit it because the finale was fantastic. One of the best in recent memories, but because we know uh, as, as people who exist in the real world that uh, after that finale, the cold, you know, the Berlin Wall is coming down in a couple of years. The Cold War is going to be over. They will have a chance to reunite that family. That's just extremely fertile narrative ground that I would love to see a little bit of a follow up. Really underrated series, the Americans overall. Yeah, definitely. So th- those are mine. I think. Uh, listen, Hollywood, get at us. We take we take check. We take Venmo, whatever. I'll take a job. Just <laughs> give me a credit on a fucking project. I'll take it. Let this man get coffee on Batman and so he can write Batman too. How about that? I was just going to say when, uh, God willing, if we're involved in uh, the uh, press, if I get to talk to like Reeves, I'm just going to be like, all right, page one of my Batman script. (laughs) Are you ready, Matthew? He's, he's like, sir, this is so inappropriate. You're like, listen, I have I don't secured give a 20 fuck, minutes Matthew. Yeah, with you. Is- yeah, Warner Brothers is guaranteed. You're going to sit there and listen. <laughs> it, intro, exterior, like middle of day. Like Bruce Wayne Ready? comes out but of business meeting. I will say this. If I were to write a Batman origin story, the villains that I would use would be Black Mask. So you give Batman Ooh. a sort of crime threat. Deathstroke. So you give him like a physical threat. And Hugo Strange, who's one of the few people to deduce that Batman is Bruce Wayne, to give him a mental threat. I like that. And, and I also don't also why like using, figured it out. using characters that haven't really been used that much, too. Yeah, I like that. All right, I'm in. I will I will go see your Batman movie. You convince so me. So maybe when they reboot him again in 15 years, that'll be my time. <laughs> I'll still be All a right, young man at uh, 43 years old. <laughs> With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Let's move on to Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Uh, Eric, you and I saw No Time to Die, our screening together. Then I was so busy, I could not even remotely entertain the idea, which you did, of going right after that, racing across town to make the Venom, Let There Be Carnage screener. You went back to back on Tuesday. Very impressed. I just, I didn't have it in me after I was playing catch up after vacation. So give us your, your quick overall review and thoughts, and then we'll get into some questions that all Marvel fans might be wondering. I've got to be honest with you. I'm really glad that I did go to see it. I was definitely tired, a little bit burnt out from Bond. Long fucking movie. I had been shoving popcorn and snacks in my mouth for the previous three hours. So I was feeling tired. But this movie is like is like snorting sugar. You know what I mean? <laughs> like from those uh, as a kid where you would like, what were those ones that you would like? It was shaped like a foot, and you would lick it and then dunk it in the sugar packet. You ever I have, have no before? idea what you're talking about. Um, but it's just, it was so aggressively commi- and self, 
like so aggressive and self-aware about its absurdness that you can't help but respect it. I think it understood. Whereas the first one didn't understand that it was a so bad, it's so good film. Just went wound up being one. I, I still disagree with that though, because I think it was so bad, it was bad. And Tom Hardy saves it from being like colossally bad. Yeah, but this, okay, that's fair enough. And to be fair, and as you know about me, when I'm going to watch a film, I will usually, if it's a franchise film, catch up on the ones that came before i did yeah. not do that with venom <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that right now i didn't really give a fuck what happened but that's understandable but that's its strength right it's a b movie and that in a world of eternals where we're, we're talking about seven thousand years of cosmic battle raging on and we've got no way home multiverse and seven spider-man and all that shit for a movie to just be a comedy superhero movie something that the boys is sort of dead dabbled in but even the boys i mean it was nominated for outstanding drama series there are serialized serious elements of that show venom let there be carnage does not give a fuck the plot is so (laughs) hilariously inconsequential this movie can't take place over more than the course of like a day or two (laughs) the entire point of the film seems to be one of two things a to crack jokes and b to have an excuse to attach the post credit scene to something those seem to be the only two tangible <laughs> that, 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 it exists that, only for the stinger i love it that so it, it, in a way it is emblematic of modern superhero films as the post credit scene is the most tangible plot it has but also very subversive of modern superhero films because it's like this shit's all fucking ridiculous and we're just gonna have a fun time doing that you know like think about <laughs> yeah. how seriously the context of no way home is being taken you know what I mean? Like, oh, Peter Parker, like multiverses and all this. Shit. But it's so but when you say it out loud and you hear yourself, you're like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. Venom understands that not everything has to be a magnum fucking opus. Movies are allowed to just be fun for fun's sake. And that's what this film does well. And I I want to say I'm a film snob by any stretch of the word. But I you I, I will say this. I have short patience and a movie like this would usually test me in that regard, but because of its, again, I'll say again, self-awareness of what it is and its willingness to be that, you got to just respect it and enjoy it. And I think if you go into it expecting a comedy film, because that is what this movie's genre is. It's not a superhero film. It's not a drama. It's not a sci-fi. It's a comedy straight up. And if okay. that's what you want, that's what you'll get. So I gave it two stars on the normal film scale but five stars on this so bad it's good scale. All right, that's fair. I'm I'm going to see it tomorrow, or at least I'm going to try if I have time. Like, I, I'm going into it definitely much oh, more hi, negative than this. Shit. I, I, I'm hoping to come out like you like you did. Like, wow, they're so committed to being bad that it's almost admirable. So It's not I, almost. I it is. It is. <laughs> I, I know, but let's be, let's be real. It is. It's these this type of lane where we diverge, usually. This is where we usually diverge. So I, I'm I'm interested to see it, if only for having a little follow up discussion on on net with next week's episode. I'm going to try to catch it, but I do I knew you know just through the ether what the post credit scene was. Let's get into it now. Spoiler warnings to and everyone out there. If you don't want to hear it, cut out now. But Eric, do you want to break down what happens, implications, and we can discuss and get into it a little bit more, and then I want to wrap this up with a with a couple questions for okay. you later. Absolutely, let's do that. Again, reminder, spoiler warning. If you have not seen Venom, let there be carnage's post-credit scene, skip ahead, turn off the show, go have a beer, whatever. I really don't care. Just don't come blame us for it. <laughs> um, so during the course of the film, Venom says to Eddie Brock, he's like, I need a vacation. I need to feel the sand between my toes and the wind in my hair. So the final scene of the film finds them doing that. They're on a beach, relaxing, talking about how they're going to. But they really are a couple. Yeah, embrace their role as like a city protector in like a new city or something. And then the uh, it, it cuts to black and the film ends. Post-credit scene kicks in and Eddie and Venom are now in the hotel room of the beach where they just were. The two are talking and Eddie's discussing like if Venom hides stuff from him, like if there's things that Venom knows that Eddie doesn't. And Venom explains that he has access to thousands of years of collective symbiote hive mind knowledge 
that spans universes and realities and there's so much knowledge and multiversal jargon that it would break Eddie's brain. As this is happening, a sort of golden, magical shockwave comes through and shakes the room. And Eddie accuses Venom. He's like, did you do that? Did you do that? Venom says no. So the room stays the same. It's still the same hotel room, but the T, but the program on the TV changed. Now, the program on the TV is the big reveal as on it is the Daily Bugle's broadcast about who Spider-Man really is, Peter Parker. Now, it is not the identical clip that they show in Far From Home, which tells me that if they wanted to indicate that this was happening simultaneously, they would have shown the identical clip. It appears to be a different Daily Bugle segment about Peter Parker being Spider-Man. So Venom, to be clear, Tom Holland's Peter Parker, right? Tom Holland's, yes, correct. Venom sees him on screen. He gives him a nice big lick, and we're off from there. Venom is in the MCU. Wow, that is, okay. That is the what. Now, all right, go ahead. Do you have thoughts? Because I think more important than the what is the when. Yeah, just quickly. I mean, we've been talking now for a year about, oh, no, like, what if Tom Holland leaves the MCU? What if Sony reclaims him exclusively? We never really, truly, with any credence, entertain the thought like well what if they just avoided that problem altogether put tom Har- uh, tom yeah tom hardy's venom in the mcu what are you talking that about? i said that all the time when did we ever say that i would always say it just it makes so much logical sense to transplant venom out of the shitty sony world and into the mcu and you said quote kevin feige doesn't want those clowns that's what you said Ah, well, I don't, I don't remember, remember that. that sounds like something I would say. I, yeah. I don't, uh, I'm not doubting you. I, if you remember that, then it definitely oh, happened. specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I smoked too much weed. I can't remember. I literally can't remember that. But I believe that I said that because it sounds like something I said. I'm happy to be wrong because this is a much better fix. Uh, you know, mostly, it doesn't guarantee that Tom Holland's going to be around for years. But for now, the immediate threat, the looming threat, which we were afraid of post No Way Home, was that Holland would be stuck in the Sony universe exclusively because they wanted to build their own franchise. Now it just looks like more uh, two-way uh, symbiotic relationship between Marvelverse, Sonyverse. And I wonder if that extends to the likes of Craven. Like, how, like, what is the extent of this new crossover going to be? Is it just going to be a brief sort of Venom arc? That's the what. The bottom line of the what is that Venom and Eddie Brock find themselves in the MCU. Now, I think the more important question is the when one early theory is that venom is transported into the mcu at the same moment that dr strange loses control of the spell that he casts for peter in the no way home trailer because the sort of golden shockwave that radiates through venom's hotel room looks similar to the golden circles that dr strange conjure when the spell mm-hmm. sorts of goes wrong and it certainly stands to reason that whatever the hell Doctor Strange did to accidentally loop in the likes of Doc Ock and Green Goblin and Sandman and Electro and Lizard also affected Venom. So what I think we're seeing is the simultaneous moment that Doctor Strange loses control of his multiversal spell that he's trying to do for Peter to make people forget that he is Spider-Man is what sucks Venom in. That would make the most sense. That seems to be like the Occam Razor's explanation. But then that leads directly into the next question. Does this mean that Venom will be in Spider-Man No Way Home? Which is probably perhaps the most important consequence of this scene, whether or not he will be involved in that film. Now, lest we forget, this is a movie that's already set to include five villains. But notice I just said five villains. That is one short of the famous, infamous, sorry, titular Sinister Six coincidence as i've long said and as i said on this podcast everything marvel does is for a reason and being five and being one villain short of a six sum and then introducing a iconic spider-man villain who could take the place of that sixth role seems a little on the nose for me that said the task of integrating the five villains so that's doc ock green goblin and sandman from the toby verse and electro and lizard from the garfield verse and those two spider-men and Doctor Strange, that is a lot for Marvel to juggle in one film. No? But then also, fans have largely suspected that the No Way Home trailer is only showing us the first half of the film, and that it's keeping its cards close to the chest in terms of the third act. Could the third act reveal the big bomb be that Venom pops up? 
could it be that Venom pops up as an ally? This version of Venom, while he likes to eat human brains, as he reminds you a lot in this sequel, he's portrayed as an anti-hero. Him and Eddie are in Saving an ongoing, the world. Yeah, him and Eddie are in an ongoing struggle of what type of hero they want to be. So does Venom show up in a like does he show up with the intents to eat him and then winds up helping Spider-Man in No Way Home? Where do you do you do you think Venom shows up in this film? Well, here's the thing. I know we're following up a call that I was wrong about just now, but it's it says to me that they could not remotely keep the secret that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were coming home and other actors were so forthright, you know, like it has been an open secret what this movie is about and who it contains. I just don't see them. Uh, I just don't see them keeping a lid on Tom Hardy, a huge name with his own franchise crossing over into the spider verse. Uh, you know, I, I don't believe they could have filmed that with, with all these leaks that we have all these kind of Twitter detectives investigating. I just think we would have gotten some whisper of that. And I have not heard that a single time. That doesn't mean it's not true. They can do everything behind closed doors and everything. And, and some things don't leak. We didn't really know much about no time to die despite three years of delays or whatever. So yeah. it's possible. I just find it unlikely. I personally am saying now, I do not expect to see Venom in Spider-Man three. It would be cool. But as you said, too, we're getting five uh, villains. We're getting two Spider-Man. We got to have Doctor still Strange. like regular characters. Yeah. Dr. Strange. We have to have like Aunt May, uh, uh, Ned and MJ all have some sort of, you know, arcs and, and whatnot. It's hard for me to believe they're squeezing Venom in without anyone knowing and just from a sheer script size standpoint. Next point. What does Venom do in the immediate aftermath of landing in the new universe? Does he eat like, somebody? At, well, I was going to say, as the post credit scene reveals, he's now in someone else's hotel room. Does he head back to San Fran? Does he go straight to New York, try and find Spider-Man? Is the immediate aftermath of Venom's arrival in the MCU the plot of Venom 3? That would be interesting. I could get behind that. Also, yeah. I have a question. Is the Venom transformation voluntary or is it like a Hulk situation where he kind of the Hulk can kind of come out whenever he wants a no, little Venom bit? Needs, Venom can do it whenever he wants. So he can um, just take over Eddie, you know, willy-nilly. Yes. That sucks for Eddie. Yeah, but they seem <laughs> to have a friendship going on. So, I mean, that's part of that. That's part of the plot. Uh, and then finally, will the next Spider-Man movie be a Sinister Six film? Now, as we said at the top, this post credit scene largely alleviates any concerns that Tom Holland's Spider-Man would be extracted and sequestered to Sony's Spider-Man universe with all the Marvel characters owned by Sony now seemingly zapped into the MCU, if there was ever time to make a Sinister Six film, it's now. Uh, just quickly, isn't isn't Scorpion a potential Sinister Six men member or whatever the guy's name yeah, is? Yeah, I mean, and I, I mean, so is Vulture. But I'm just saying based oh, yeah, on. But I'm just saying based on what the trailer showed us. The trailer showed us five of them. So it's yeah, a good point. Do we think that the next Spider-Man MCU film will be a Sinister Six film or is Venom three Are Venom three and Spider-Man four going to be the same fucking movie? That's, that's a really good question. I don't know what their franchise plans are. And, you know, as of yet, we don't really know anything about another solo Spider-Man movie. We do know that he was supposed to, I think as part of the new deal, there was two team-up movies or at least one crossover event movie. Maybe the crossover event movie that was part of the, the most recent deal between Disney and Sony is the Sinister Six movie with a Venom, with, you know, all, all these guys all wreaking havoc in like 2023 or something. You know what I mean? Or 2024. And then one more that I have for you. What do you see Venom's place in the MCU has? It strikes me as very Deadpool-esque where... He's not quite fourth wall breaking meta, but he's clearly a contrast to what they already have going on there. So I'm just curious how they fit in both the character and the franchise itself. Because I Venom, think much Tom Tom Hardy wants to make Venom three. That's been confirmed. So I'm sure. I mean, you know, he loves having his own franchise as anyone would. I, I think they use him a bit like they use him already in in Venom, where he is around regular everyday people 
talking to himself and looking like a crazy person. And there's humor derived from, wow, like that guy's out of his mind. Now just imagine those same interplays, but with like Thor and, uh, you know, uh, Ant-Man and like stars we love instead of just everyday normal random people. That's funny to me. Like, wow, this guy's on the team. He's a nut job. Like, you know, do we see it being taken to that extreme where he's inter like extreme in the sense that he's that embedded where he's interacting with other, uh, I think it's crazy if Tom Hardy does not interact with other uh, Avengers. It's just too big of an opportunity. I don't necessarily think he's like a pillar of Marvel's phase building plans, but in the next type of film, Wherever he pops up again, I, I do believe he'll interact with a couple of Avengers, yeah. even if it's a limited amount of time. So those are kind of my main thoughts that I had from the post credit scene. All right, so I, I like everything you, you laid out. I got to know, though, what if you had to compare this to something, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, in the superhero blockbuster genre, so I kind of have a better handle on what to expect, what listeners out there can kind of go in with a plan of attack, what would you compare it to? Another totally, stylistically, comic book movie? vibe. Some, something in the superhero, maybe, or blockbuster space, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this movie reminds me of X. I don't know, fucking Doom with The Rock? Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. What, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a time capsule movie. It doesn't feel like it exists of the year 2021. It's 15 years outdated. I mean, it's such a bizarre... There is no comp. It, it's a B movie. Okay. It's a schlocky superhero B film, which I don't know if we've ever... I mean, like... Because I was thinking the last so bad it's good superhero film that I genuinely love is Constantine. But that seemed to age into an actual good superhero movie. So I can't really claim that as a so bad it's good anymore. But if you know the so bad it's good genre, that's the best comparison that I could give it. It's a so bad it's good with a superhero skin on it. Okay, now I, I think I know the answer to at least half of this question. After Venom, Let There Be Carnage, are you more excited, less excited, same excited for Morbius and Craven the Hunter? Oh, you fucker. Oh, Morbius, no. Because fuck Jared Leto. <laughs> that's, that's what I was expecting. Uh, but again, like if they do the same formula, like if they make Leto look like a moron for moron's sake and it's hilarious, then maybe I will like it, you know? Like... <laughs> That Sony dunking, you know, we have railed on Morbius for being like, who asked for this? Who wants this? If Sony is self-aware of that fact and embrace that in the film itself, it could also have a very Venom, let there be carnage, good time at the theater type thing. I mean, this is a fun movie. So if they make another fun movie, I'm, I'm not going to hate it. Craven is different because Craven in and of itself is a dope character. Spider-Man fans have wanted a Craven film for a long time. He's certainly more adaptable than Venom. You know, Venom, I wrote, is a cosmic goop, whereas, like, Craven is something, is a, is a derivative of the most dangerous game. He is a thematic idea that has existed in storytelling for some time. So the idea of that sort of character in the superhero live-action space, I don't think we've seen yet. And there, there's a reason why he Craven's Last Hunt is thought of as one of the best Spider-Man stories. So it's tough for me to... I hope they take that one seriously. But seeing that Sony has the potential to make a superhero film that I enjoy as much as I enjoyed this one, I guess I have to say I am more excited to see what they do. Am I excited for those movies in and of themselves? Not really. But am I more accepting of the Sony universe than I was? Absolutely. See, I I still think I'll probably diverge from you a little bit when I see Venom, though I'm obviously going to reserve final judgment until I see it. But my, my last question to, to, to wrap this up, we know historically Sony can make good movies. Why can't they recently make good, good comic book movies, not just good, bad comic book movies? It, it seems like they could aspire to more, even though you're ultimately positive on Venom, Let There Be Carnage. It, it just feels like they could have gone a different route that may have been more rewarding overall. Well, here's the thing. Does Venom exist because Sony didn't want their deal to lapse? I mean, is that the bottom line of it? Probably. I mean, I think they just want to wring every dollar they can out of exactly. their Sony, either the Marvel IP. Exactly. So how do you balance that and making a good movie? Is it even possible if you're only doing it for purely, we want to wring out every penny we can? I'm not sure. I think that the problem is I the mean, space Blade Runner is so, was 2049 space, was made under space similar is circumstances. so crowded. I mean, you look at DC, they couldn't figure out Batman and Superman. 
So figuring out Venom is a much taller test, but they did. They found a niche, unique lane to project the character through. And that is to be commended. But a character like Venom, if you were to make a hyper-serious Venom film, and I think people equate serious and good, and that's sort of the problem. That's why I think that Venom Let There Be Carnage is unserious in a good way. You couldn't make it a serious movie. So therefore, I don't know, given the characters in their stable, they're technically capable of making a def- like a, a, a Dark Knight, Guardians of the Galaxy level film. I just don't know if they've got the type of character to pull that off. I'm interested to see it. If I do catch it this week, and I'd love a quick, you know, two minute uh, uh, back and forth when I when we hop on next week to talk about. I mean, no Craven, dude. Think about Craven. I mean, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Like, is anybody really fucking gassed up for that? You know what I mean? Nope. Like, at it, least it not me. It doesn't even seem like they're trying that hard, but that's part of the magic, I guess. All right, well, that will do it for us. Stay tuned next week. We're talking No Time to Die, Bond. Uh, what else? We, we might have a guest, maybe. I don't want to, yeah, we'll I'm say. not going to spoil anything yet because it's not locked in, but Fingers if we crossed. do, folks, look out. And then, as I said, follow us at Pod er, at Eric Italiano, freshly blue checked, mm-hmm. at great underscore Catsby. Leave us a five-star re- review on Apple Podcasts and everything, and uh, enjoy your weekend. And we will talk to you all next week, and remember, we, we are, are better. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.